Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm. Live from Melton Secondary College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Welcome everyone. We are currently live from Mountain Secondary College in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gaming Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Saxon and my co-hosts today are Tiana, Skylar, Irene and Mason. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Yeah. Okay, first question for you is, why did you start gambling? I started gambling because I loved games and competition and sport. And as a kid and a young adult, I was just absolutely obsessed with winning and losing and the feeling of winning. And, you know, obviously I hated losing, but I loved winning. So I think... It was a natural progression as I got through early childhood into young adulthood. Yeah. Hi, Fred. Um, I'm Irene. Hi, Irene. So uh, my first question is, uh, when you started gambling, how did it affect your life? It affected my life a lot because I think one of the most important principles of, of gambling and gambling to the extent that it's a problem in your life is that you are using that time to gamble as opposed to doing something else. So I was gambling instead of being at university, for example, you know, I dropped out of uni- university and with that came a lot of other unhealthy behaviors of, you know, I was nocturnal like a possum. I was gambling all night and I would sleep all day and then I'd wake up and bet and then I'd, you know, on the horses or dogs or whatever was on and then I'd go to the casino all night and then I'd go to sleep and that was my routine. And initially people were a little bit in the dark because I was lying. I was lying. I wanted them to see me as this big heroic winner. I had this big bravado and I wanted everyone to see me as the cool guy, you know? So I was lying. But over time, when your words don't match your actions, people sense that something's, you know, something's not right. You can see it, but, you know, I think they want to give you the benefit of the doubt, but eventually it becomes the doubt of benefit where you've lied so many times and people are starting to see or hear, you know, multiple things and it becomes a pattern of behavior. And then people know, oh, something's not right here. So over time that, like I said, that benefit of doubt became doubt of benefit and that really impacted my life, my relationships. Yeah, it really took over my life. I mean, that's really the simplest and best answer to your question. Like as it became more and more out of control, it just took over my life. Gambling. Hey, um, hi, Fred. Um, I'm Tiana. Hey, Tiana. And how did the people around you impact you? Hmm. The people around me impacted me in some respects it's a tricky question because I'm very, I'm quite naturally stubborn and like I'm a wild and big personality. So I was just going to do what I was going to do at that time, you know, because I was, I was angry with life and I just finished school and I really didn't like school and, and I, and I tried studying and I really didn't want to be there and I was just completely disengaged. So gambling was kind of initially my distraction or a habit 
to take me out of that pain and anxiety around life and education, you know, not, not studying. And, you know, it's important I mentioned earlier that I lost my dad when I was, when I was very young, um, when I was 13. And he actually got sick when I was 10. And he was a mathematician and a businessman. And he'd done very well for himself in that respect. And he was also a part-time gambler on the side on the weekends. So growing up, that was a very normalized behavior in my, you know, in my household. And on top of that, because he was such a good mathematician and businessman, it wasn't, you know, looked down upon because, ah, oh, he's done well over there. So he can kind of do whatever he wants over there. You know what I mean? And I actually don't know. Like, I, I assume he, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to sell things and our, our, our family financial health didn't fall apart. So I assume he never had the same extent of problems that I did. And he was a lot more self-contained than I am and than I was. But losing him was such a big loss. And gambling for me was a way of connecting to him, albeit sub subconsciously, and also a way of a really ugly way of my lack of impulse control and my desire to be seen as something I wasn't, you know, seen glorified, you know, as some sort of hero amongst my friends and family, seen as, as this kind of, superior winner and that was where it's started and just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse oh hi fred hi, i'm skylar hi sky um i was just wondering if your dad didn't pass away would that have changed how your life went that is such a good question and it's actually a question that i ask myself sometimes not a lot but sometimes oh. and <sighs> I think so. I think so because my mom was a wild and free spirit and I'm much more like her and my dad was a strict disciplinarian and he was yeah, quite moody and very, you know, very like me, very stubborn and, and, and headstrong. So he wouldn't tolerate that kind of, you know, as a, as a kid, the things that I'd get away with from my mom, like stealing from the coin jar you know, from the bottom of her bag, coins to bet in arcade games, you know, to feed my love of, of gaming, let's say, which became an obsession and a compulsion with gambling. He wouldn't, he would have come down a lot harder on me. So I think I would have had a lot more boundaries um, and more discipline. But at the same time, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have the perspective and the gratitude that I have for having a healthy, stable life now because I, if I hadn't been in, gone through the, through the mud, let's say through the gambling and come out, coming out the other side where I'm coming to now, I might not have had, I wouldn't have had the perspective on life that I do now and the, the self-awareness and the tools to self-manage. So it's, it's for me, it's, it's like, it's like the what if game, you know, it's like the past is the past. And even though it's a big loss and a big hole in my identity, it's, it's, it's a question that I think is, can't be answered. And I'm okay with that. I can, I can live with that. It's also made you who you are today. Exactly. Exactly. You are very sharp. Pushed on. Your <laughs> teacher you. over there has done a very good job. Yeah. Um, Hi, uh, Fred. I'm Mason. Hey, Mason. Um, 
how did your dad's disorder impact you while you had your gambling issue? Mm. That's a really good question. You guys are you guys are on fire here. My dad had yeah, he had a mood disorder. Um and even though it was relatively mild to people that, you know, because he's extremely high functioning, even though relative to, you know, serious cases, it was mild. It 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 affected me it affected our whole relationship because when he was gambling when he was losing he was very aggro you know and just generally he was quick to anger um and i think that was part of you know the mood disorder he was very moody so it it did affect you know because i was a little bit afraid of him and that would make my kind of rebellious sneaky cheeky shifty behaviors i'd hide it from him i wasn't open with him so that's you know it's like i was saying before it's opportunity cost of everything like the good thing about having would in theory having him throughout my teenage years would have been yeah i would have got more boundaries but the downside is i might not have been as open as i am now you know what i mean so there's there's good and bad with everything um but yeah it, it affected it affected me quite a lot because i was intimidated by him of course i loved him and my dad as you know as i still do you know even though he, he's passed but I think that it made me a little bit afraid of him and afraid to tell him, be open with him completely. Yeah. And the way I'm trying to be open with you guys. Yeah. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM, live from Mountain Secondary College. My name is Saxon and my co-hosts today are Tiana, Skylar, Irene and Mason. And our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. How long have you not been gambling for and what helped you stop? So I haven't been gambling for six years and two months. I've been gambling for six years and two months. Thank you. What made me stop? Well, I made me stop. <laughs> but yeah. But with a lot of, with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of help. And I think I'll go into a little bit of detail about that, but I'll try and start and finish the answer to the question with what I believe to be the fundamental answer to that question is I believe that I could do something better and be something else, do something else with my life. So I think that's the fundamental answer to your question. I believe that I could do something better with my life and I could be better, a better person than who I was and who I was becoming. And I never lost that belief or hope, um, some people would call it. And I think that is so essential in any problem you have, you know, any any addiction or any compulsive or habitual behavior that is causing severe issues in your life. I think if you don't have that belief that it can be better or you can do something better, why would you change? So I think that's the fundamental answer to your question. What helped me massively was therapy. Was therapy was seeing a shrink, and even though it took me a, a year to start investing in the process, start actually trying and giving my best, it was instrumental in my recovery journey. Instrumental because, as I told you guys before, what I got from therapy and, and not everyone will recover through therapy. Not everyone needs to recover through therapy. But for me, you know, dealing with the trauma of losing my dad and I was very depressed at the time that I was gambling. I really needed that 
professional, you know, external help from the family. And the, what I got from therapy and what I'm getting from therapy is information about myself. It's a mirror, you know, it's self-awareness so that I can know who I am, know why I was doing what I was doing because gambling was a symptom of other issues that was going on in my life. It was a symptom of losing my dad and a symptom of my obsessiveness with winning, which by the way, I still have, but right. I'd rather win like this. You know, I'd rather win you guys over, you know, by, by sharing. So that's kind of how I've transformed that. So anyway, the help of therapy, the help of many people in my, in my soccer club, the help of friends and family, it takes a team guys. It really takes a team. Like, I'll be honest, like the therapist was fundamental, absolutely fundamental. My godmother was absolutely fundamental, but it takes a team, you know, and just slowly, slowly, day by day, you transform into someone else, into something else. And I'm very happy and grateful and lucky that I did. Do you wish you ever started therapy earlier? Um, No, because I did. (laughs) I just bounced around a lot. So when I was around your age and my dad was, you know, when he was sick and when he passed, you know, I tried then, but I never found the right person because like I said, I'm, I'm quite wild and free spirited. And I was a very, uh, yeah, I was a very, I'm not gonna say good liar, but compulsive liar. So it's hard to build a relationship on lies. And until I found someone who could see through the lies and someone that I trusted enough and respected enough to give the truth, <laughs> then it just wasn't going to work. You know, it's not going to work. You're just telling them things that are just not reality. It's just not what's actually happening in your life. So it's like, what are you doing there? You know? Um, but I think with that, it's also important that being so young, I didn't understand the extent of it, you know, the trauma. And even at 18, 19, I didn't understand it. You know, it, it started really unpacking in my early 20s. So it just takes a lot of time, guys, and a lot of a lot of effort. You know, you try this person, doesn't work, try that person. And eventually I, f- I was lucky I found the right one. And I was absolutely lucky and gifted that even after stealing from my mom, after I lost my inheritance, that even after stealing from her multiple times, she was still willing to pay and sit with me through high level you know, very expensive therapy. Um, so not everyone has that, guys. So I was very lucky. And like I said, therapy is not everyone's way to recovery, but it was for me because there was a lot of issues to unpack and gambling was a symptom of those things. And yeah, I'm just very lucky and grateful that I got that help and that I'm still doing well in my recovery journey. That's good. Um, just to build up on that, Apart from therapy, where else did you go to like get help? So my godmother was really good because it was hard. You know, there was a lot of familial tension because they knew that I was not behaving well and and struggling in life and I was lying. So I was breaking a lot of relationships in the family at that time. And I didn't really have the confidence or, you know, they weren't, the people in that moment to turn to. So just having my godmother, who's an extremely honest woman of high integrity, but also was able to just hear me out and, you know, talk me through 
what I'd done and, you know, what I needed to do or what I could do to, to get better was absolutely essential. I had friends that were instrumental, absolutely instrumental, um, you know, going out for coffee with them, you know, spending my nights with them. Like I said, opportunity cost. I'm with them. I wasn't gambling, you know, so that that was instrumental and fundamental. And they're just unbelievably supportive guys, unbelievably supportive because a lot of friends would have or could have and well within their rights could have just walked away. So this is too much or, you know, I've lost my trust and respect with you. This relationship's deteriorated or you borrowed, which I did. I borrowed from one of my friends and it took me years to pay it back. And that broke that relationship for a while. So all of those things, they could have well within their rights gone, nah, this is too much, but they didn't. They didn't. They kept their faith in me. Um, I'm lucky I never lost their love and their support. And now I'm happy to say the friendships are better than ever. But as you get older, you get different kind of challenges with friendships. You know, people buy houses and move on with their lives. And um, yeah, there's, it's, it's a different, it's in a different phase now, but it's better because it's, it's more, it's more mature. It's more real. So I'm very happy with, my my friendships and i'm very lucky to have them as friends glad to hear that (laughs) so uh, what made you change or decide to change your lifestyle i think hitting rock bottom Mm. hitting rock bottom that moment of rock bottom i think that feeling of if i don't change something bad's gonna happen which is what happened the third or fourth time I stole from my mum. She, you know, because I've more or less implied, or I hope so, that my mum was soft, wild and free-spirited like me, big, big personality, whereas my dad was a strict disciplinarian. And losing him, obviously, it's a big loss and I lost a lot of boundaries in my life. And I knew with her I could get away with almost murder, you know, not... Not her, not literally, <laughs> figuratively. I knew I could get away with inappropriate behavior, let's say. And so that's how I knew when I was stealing from her. I knew that, well, what's she going to do about it? You know, I live at home. She's not going to do anything about it. She's softy. So, but the third or fourth time, guys, that she did, that I stole from her, I saw a different side of her, a side that I'd never seen, which is that she said to me, if you do this again, I will call the police and I'll press charges against you for theft. And that was the moment that my self-preservation kicked in. I panicked, guys. I panicked. And I was like, no, I need to change. No, I need to change. And it was like this. Just decided, no, I need to change. And it wasn't the last day I gambled, but it was the first day I decided to be someone different, to do something different with my life, to invest in my recovery journey, to tell my psych, my therapist, the truth, and to just actually try and be someone different. So that was my rock bottom and that was my catalyst to change. Um, with that, uh, like, what was like the rock bottom for you? Like, what was like the limit sort of thing? The... The the limit was the fear of getting arrested by the police for theft. That was the limit. And that actually makes me sound quite cowardly. And to be honest, I was. Because when you are stealing to enable 
you know, my, my compulsive gambling. It was completely for me. I was doing it to run away from my problem, you know, and it becomes a cycle of I'm, I feel bad about gambling. I lost. I'm going to go gamble more. And when you're gambling through chips, guys, and through screens, it's easier to distance yourself from the loss than, you know, you go in the old days with just big bags of cash and you go dollar after dollar after dollar. Whereas now you can just go bang, 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 money gone. Yeah. So that was my limit was that feeling of fear and panic, my self-preservation that if I don't stop, something really bad's going to happen. So I've kind of got a, a theory that often the eh, look, everyone's different, but it can be with, you know, problem gambling or, you know, people with gambling harm. It can be that they'll gamble, gamble, gamble. And then when it's time to sell the house, okay, now I'm going to stop, you know, because that's the moment you feel it. Like that's the moment it disrupts your life. It disables your degenerate, unhealthy, you know, addiction or obsession. So I think that moment, and not that you want to arrive to bottom, but for me, it was pivotal in my journey. And I think that's can be the case for a lot of other people, but I can only really speak for myself. Do you wish your mum was more hard on you with just everything that was going on? I don't know how. I don't know how you can be so smart at your age. I was, I was, I was not that, not that switched on. Uh, no, because I, I don't like, like I said before, I don't like to look backwards because the past is the past. There's nothing I can do from it besides accept it, learn from it, and move on. So. There are definitely still problems that I have from that. So for like little things that I'm embarrassed to admit, like there's stuff that she did for me or enabled me in life, not just with gambling, basic life skills that I missed that are important to have that I'd like to have now. But at the same time, her live and let live, learn by doing, you know, um, philosophy, I think is the reason that I'm here talking to you guys. You know, if I was much more self-contained, then I'd be, oh, no, I'm not going to be open about this. This is my story. It's private. You know what I mean? So, like I said, strengths and weaknesses with everything. Don't like to look back. And, no, I'm very lucky to have my mom. She's a phenomenal person and brilliant mother. And, yeah, she's just a gem. So, I'm happy. With that, were there any, like, regrets that you did to your mom or, like, anything that you, like, I shouldn't have done that, except for, like, the stealing part. Mm, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah, I regret the the pain and embarrassment. Yeah. I, no, I don't want I – don't, I didn't like the word regret. I just don't like that I put that stress and that panic and that anxiety on her from, you know, what I was doing. Other than that – I mean, of course, I'm not proud that I stole from her. I'm quite, to be honest, I was quite ashamed of it. Like, it took me a while to admit to myself that I was, you know, a thief because it wasn't my money, it's her money. <sighs> yeah. Besides that, I think, I mean, yeah, I, there's always things that could have been better, but it will never be perfect. And like I said, I can't change the past. And I'm just really happy with how we've rebuilt our relationship. And it's very strong, very strong. 
Um, just a quick question. Why didn't you quit when you had the chance to, like when you had lost all your savings? Very, very, very good question, my man. And it's something that I'm, I'm really happy you asked. I, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that the reason I didn't quit in the moment that I lost all my savings and a lot of people would rationally think or might ask, surely you've lost $215,000, $220,000. Surely you realize this is not going to work for you, you know, this use of your life. This is, you know, some sort of business or, or profession or lifestyle is just not healthy. And you would be right in thinking that. It's true. But when you're consumed by that, guys, when you live in that, what do you think my mindset was when I've lost all that money? You just felt really bad for yourself, your friends, your family, who you've put a bunch of just stuff onto. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that, of, of self-pity and... and Realisation. Yes, or starting to, but it, I was pushing it away with gambling. What else? Is there any uh, other things that you think in that, in that space that what do you think... Think about the mindset. Um, I think you would have thought that if you lost all that money, you could probably win it back. Bravo. Bravo, Irene. That's exactly right. I thought that, and that's something I think that's referred to as gambling logic, is I thought that I've lost this money and that was my bad luck and my good luck will come. I've lost this money, but I'm smarter than the system. I'm a genius. I can outmaneuver everyone. I don't want to be seen as a loser. So that was my logic and that was my justification for doing some really regrettable and unfortunate things and choices like stealing, like borrowing from friends that I couldn't pay back initially. Ultimately I did. So yeah, that was, that was a really, really regrettable, regrettable time, uh, regrettable, some regrettable actions, but, but it's part of my journey of making me who I am today. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for our guest, Fred Rubenstein. It's been a great pleasure to talking to you today, live from Mountain Secondary College in Melbourne, Australia. You have been listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Saxon, and our co-hosts today were Tiana, Skylar, uh, Irene, and Mason. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have found some information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you. You got look just quickly. You guys were absolutely amazing, and you guys are why I'm here. So, (laughs) thank you for spending your time and and making such brilliant and insightful questions. I'm really happy and grateful I got to meet you guys and do this with you. So, thank you. Well, I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of everyone. I'm sure. They all had fun talking to you as well. Uh, it was, I hope it was very productive. Yeah. Like it was for me. Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm. Live from Mountain Secondary College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Welcome to the planet Earth. We're all trying our best to avoid the hurt. But man, it's really only a matter of time before somebody you love's gonna cross the line and leave you all alone in the